0: And this time, Matt Steele, with a split sermon. A child with five names. Good afternoon. Anybody here have five names? Larry, you have five names. <laughs> Nothing we can repeat here, right? Wow. Four names. We have any takers for four names? Four names. Can I ask what your four names are? I can ask, right? Anybody know the meaning of their names? Would you be willing to share the meaning of your name? And you get one name to yourself. Okay. <laughs> Mr. Gregory. Lawrence Doug, and Laurel a crown or victorious. Ray is a sovereign ruler, and Gregory was I like that. I like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Aim high. Aim high. Anybody else? Other names? Mom in law back there. true worshiper of God. I like it. Who else had their hand up? Fran? Bitter tree? Bitter free. It's interesting. Anybody else? Nobody's willing to, okay Larry. interesting. You know, thinking about it being an English name, that's probably why I like you so much. (laughs) Well, you know, we named our sons for a specific reason with specific meaning, but also at the same time, we did the little bit of the Russian thing, and they get one of my names. So, uh, Benjamin is Benjamin Matthew and uh, that means um, son of my right hand who is God's gift and uh, he's certainly God's gift to us um, hopefully he doesn't think he's God's gift to everybody <laughs> and then uh, Joseph is Joseph Simon and uh, that means God shall increase the hearing and of course our last name is Steel, which can also mean true or true or steel. so We have a lot for him to live up to as well. You know, names are vital, aren't they? I mean, not only can we communicate to one another with hey, you, with the glasses on, but they also have meaning. They have meaning based on family tradition. They have meaning based on the name itself, as we've discussed. They have a lot of value in our language, in our culture, They mean something to the person that has them. They mean something to the community around them. And in many cases, you know, sometimes we've lost some understanding of those meanings. You know, especially uh, the names that end in son. You know, being son of somebody. And so, I think it's important that we review a child in the Bible that was given five names five names, important names, important for us as humans, but also important because they were the names of God. So you know the child I'm talking about is found in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Isaiah 9 verse 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So we have a child with five names. Five names to live up to. Five names of meaning for us as the one he was sent to, or the ones he was sent to. And we're very familiar with this passage. In fact, it's been used verbatim in songs. Handel's Messiah being one of them. A beautiful piece. And I've often read this passage in conjunction with Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, I don't know why, but I've always read these two passages together, especially at Passover time. Isaiah 53, just prior to the start of Passover, I would read these two together. And I've often pondered the meanings of each of the names. So they may seem obvious, of course he's wonderful. <laughs> that one's pretty obvious. But there is some history behind each of these names. There's a backstory. So looking at them together, it's firstly worth noticing that there are five. And anybody that is into numerology and biblical numbers can tell me what does five represent. grace. Five is the number for grace. So here we have five names on this child who was, of course, the symbol of God's grace. So, five names tied to God's grace. Because ultimately without God's grace there wouldn't have been a child given to us. There wouldn't have been this individual with all of the blessings that these names derives or brings with it. So first, the first name we're presented with is this child is wonderful. He shall be called wonderful. Well, Like I said, he's the Messiah. He's the Savior. Of course, he's wonderful. But, you may have a little cross-reference in your Bible when you're looking at this passage. And it might direct you over to Judges chapter 13 because there's a little backstory to this. So in Judges 13, we find the story of the conception of Samson. You're like, well, what has that got to do with this? That's kind of quite a leap. But we'll take a look. Now, the passage you're referred to is Judges 13 and verse 18, which jumps right into the middle of the story so we're going to go back a little bit it says and again the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years this is in verse 1 now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah and his wife was barren and had no children and the angel of the Lord I want you to remember that phrase. We've talked about it before. Malak of the Lord. It's not just a angel. It's the angel. The angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said to her, Indeed now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall be begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So we have a, a promise of a child to come who will be born, who will be a type of deliverer. Interesting, isn't it? We've got an interesting connection with the child that is mentioned in Isaiah. So the woman came and told her husband, you're not going to believe what happened to me today at the store. Well, she was out in the field, I believe. A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. Very awesome. But I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So Manoah prayed, as I think we all would pray. Well, what are we going to do with this child? God, send that man back so he can teach us how we are to train this child this very special child. So he said, or rather, the, the, the angel of the Lord came back to him. And so Manoah said to him, So let your words come to pass. What will be the uh, what will be the boy's rule of life and his work? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I have said to the woman, let her be careful that she may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor she may drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean that I have commanded her to observe. And then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please, let us detain you, and, and, and we will prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. And then we have kind of a strange passage here. He says, But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. It's almost as though he was actually offering the goat to him as an offering in the first place. And he said, well, I'm not going to eat any of this, but, but when you do an offering, you do an offering to the Lord. You know that, right? Hmm. So he said, and Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? that when your words come to pass, we may honor you. Uh, He wants to know the name. The name is important. The name is special. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? The angel of the Lord's name was wonderful. So Manoah took the goat, with the grain offering and offered it upon the rock to the Lord. And he did a wondrous thing. The angel did a wondrous thing. While Manoah and his wife looked on, it happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. Right in front of him, he ascended up into the sky in the flame. And when Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. And when the angel of the Lord appeared no more to to them, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We will surely die because we have seen God. He knew exactly at that point who this being was and his name was wonderful now in this particular instance the word for God is Halloween he's seen the Elohim, one of those glorious beings this being this radiant powerful being was not just an angel of the Lord he was the angel of the Lord the Malach. Of the Lord, as we read in the story of of Hagar when she's in the wilderness, the same individual. Yet he was the child of Isaiah chapter 9, whose name is Wonderful. He is wonderful because he is, in fact, God. So we start to put together the puzzle of who this child is and, and what its names mean. He is wonderful because of old, he walked this earth. He interacted with all kinds of individuals. And we have maybe just a few stories in the Bible that tells us he is wonderful. His name is wonderful, like I said, because throughout human history he has performed his wonders. And often, quietly interceding into the lives of humble men and women and granting their earnest desire especially as we see in the lives of the barren women of the Bible and what a tremendous blessing he leaves behind delivering such individuals as Samson who himself was in many ways a type a copy of Christ he was foretold before, and set apart from the womb to deliver the children of Israel. So this child in Isaiah chapter 9 is truly wonderful. We read the second name of this child is counselor. In Hebrew, this word means exactly what you think it would mean. Counselor. Advisor, consultant, one who gives advice, a guide for our journey through life. This child, this Jesus, is our counselor. Is he our counselor? Is he the first place that we turn when we have a little question in life, when we have some difficulty? When we have to seek counsel and seek wisdom greater than the the, the wisdom that we have. When we have this challenge, whatever it may be, is he our counselor? Let's be honest with ourselves and ask, is he my counselor? Because he's right here with us. The mind that created the universe is our personal counselor. He is here for us. All we have to do is ask, right? If you're like me, I tend to try all kinds of other ideas first. And then when I've made a real mess of it, then I go and ask the counselor. Is he our counselor? In John chapter 14 and verse 15, he says, Jesus himself says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And you could also extend from that. Not just his commandments, but if you love me, take my advice. Follow the wisdom that I have laid down for you. I'm your counselor. I'm wiser than you. I was there when Samson was conceived. I am wonderful. I am your counselor. Listen to me. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. That he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And that is a really curious phrase. He says, I will not leave you orphans. I will not leave you orphans. An orphan is, is what? Someone without a father, without a mother. That is an orphan. He will not leave us parentless or fatherless. Why? Because he, he says, I will come to you. He is our counselor. He's our advisor. And through the spirit dwelling in us, he is with us at every point, at every turn that we have a challenge or need his advice. He is our helper. You know, it's when we think about that, when we study that, we try and dwell on that, it is almost too wonderful to accept that he would dwell with me. Isn't it? He is wonderful. He is our counselor. He does not have a secret agenda that we need to be worried about when we or are telling him a private matter. He just doesn't. Even your best friend, you wonder, well, you're gonna go home and talk to your husband about what I told you today, or your wife, or... Not this counselor. You can tell him anything, and we can completely trust him. He never reveal any, to anyone our most vulnerable feelings and thoughts and dreams. He will always tell us the truth instead of maybe what we want to hear. He will always tell us the truth. He is patient and he is kind. The Apostle Peter says it beautifully in First Peter 5 and verse 6 and 7. He says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. He really does care for us. Jesus is our counselor, He is our guide. You know, and just even more than he did, he cared for Manoah and his wife, or any of those throughout history that he has revealed himself to as the Elohim. This all-powerful God stands ready to be our guide. But as much as Jesus has been revealed in biblical history as the Elohim, as the Mighty One, and maybe as Counselor and Guide, the next name we find in Isaiah uh, chapter 9 and verse 6 is a little different. It says, the mighty El, not Elohim. It says, the mighty God. But in this passage, it is El, singular, not plural, one of the Elohim. And in 204 places in the Old Testament, the English word is simply just translated as God. So this child that is a wonderful counselor is also the mighty God. You may say, well, that's kind of obvious. Maybe it's obvious to us. But it's not perhaps obvious to everyone. The one whom people feared, if they saw, they feared that they would die, is the child in this passage Jesus himself affirms this understanding in John chapter 1 verse 18 he says no one has seen God at any time the only begotten son who is the, in the bosom of the father he has declared him and again in John chapter 6 46 not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from God he has seen the Father. So all the times that man was interacting with God he was interacting with this child or the person that he was before he came as a child. Seeing this this child is almighty God. The one we know as Jesus Christ. Jesus said when talking to Philip in John chapter 14 and verse 9, he said to him, have I been so long with you and you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the the sake of the works themselves. So, as I mentioned before, we've known this as a church tradition. We've had this insight for quite a while. That the God of the Old Testament was essentially the one that we know as Jesus Christ. Before Abraham was, he said, I am. So Jesus has always been the representative of the Father. The image of that invisible God. But what should we take from the fourth name then? This fourth name, this child, has been given. What does that mean? Remember it says, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Hmm. What does that mean? Jesus is an everlasting Father? I mean, we understand the representation as the Father, but is he actually an everlasting Father himself? Could that be the case? Is that really what it's saying here? In Isaiah, I mean... You know, let's take a look at Isaiah 53. As I say, I tend to read these together. In verse 8, we find a very well-known passage. But it doesn't seem to to match with what we're getting here from Isaiah chapter 9. Because it is the prophecy that foretells of the sacrifice of Christ, but also seems to conflict, like I say. With this notion of Jesus being an everlasting Father. It says He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. Who can declare his generation? I take that to mean as where are his generations? Where are his offspring? Where is his seed? There isn't any he was cut off from the land of the living he was killed murdered and hung on a tree but then further down in isaiah 53 we read this in verse 10 yet it pleased the lord to bruise him he has put him to grief when you shall make his soul an offering for sin he shall see his seed he shall prolong his days And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Hmm. He shall see his seed. Prolong his days. Well, we know what that means. He was resurrected. Right? Because he will prolong his days. He is now raised forever. will never die again. So what about the first part? He has seed. He has offspring. Interesting. The scripture says that this child will be a called everlasting father. So somewhere and somehow... ...the person that we know as Jesus Christ... ...will be a father. Wait a second. That's impossible. That's impossible. We know... ...in the scripture... ...that he is called... ...the son. Right? Everybody agree? He's called the son. He's the image of the father... But he's called the son. He's the Son of God sent to do the bidding of his father. So how is it then that he could be an everlasting father? Anybody have any ideas about that? How could a son be a father? It's a trick question, isn't it? Mr. Gregory. Mm. so Jesus can provide those things that a father would normally provide so in that sense he would be almost representative as a father Right. I I hadn't thought of that that is a very good analogy there's certainly um, you know you can be adopted uh, you know and and have a father in that sense and your experience Mm -hmm. but there's a there's a truth a fundamental truth about being a father. You have to have been what first? a son. You cannot be a father if you weren't a son because you cannot be. (laughs) Right? It's kind of obvious. So the idea that an individual can be both son and father are not incompatible. And so that's why we have the scripture that says everlasting father because he's never going to die and he is a father to us like Mr. Gregory said in the sense of that or maybe something else life, spiritual life, coming from Him and the Father. Absolutely. I, you know, there's, there's, I think there's a lot more in here, certainly than I have time for today. But, I think it's beautiful that He is our Father in all intents and purposes with our Heavenly Father in Heaven. So, He is. It is accurate, and it's in the Scripture eternal father everlasting father the last name that he has is called prince of peace and i find this name to be fascinating because it seems to me to tie to another title another person that had peace in their name and that was a certain king of salem king of salem salem meaning peace or peaceful And we we know about that story. We can find it in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 18. Um, How Abraham acting in the mode of a kinsman redeemer. Going and recovering Lot and whoever else was with his company. And redeeming them. Saving them from their captivity. So he goes and recovers Lot. And then a certain gentleman by the name of Melchizedek king of Salem which I said before means king of peace brought out bread and wine and he was a priest of the most high and he blessed Abraham and he said blessed be Abram of God most high possessor of heaven and earth and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hands and he gave Abram uh, or rather Abram gave Melchizedek a tithe of all that he had. So we have this interesting interchange and again some symbolism. This time the symbolism is very familiar because we have the bread and the wine that Melchizedek brought out to Abraham. But we also have Abraham giving a tithe of his increase, of his spoils, as it were. course, later on we read that he disposes of the rest of it as well, but there's a symbolism there. Abraham was also acting as a kinsman redeemer in rescuing Lot and his family. So this king of Salem, which means king of peace, brought out to Abraham bread and wine, being the symbols of Jesus' body and blood. The writer of Hebrews, as we know, also has something to say on this man Melchizedek, the king of peace. He says in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 1, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. And we can continue to read in this passage in Hebrews how Jesus is that high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And yet I like to wonder, was he also the actual (laughs) king of Salem Yeah, maybe that's just my idea but the imagery and the symbolism is still there and there is a curious thing why would the Messiah be a priest after anybody else but himself so it's certainly an enticing mystery And I think one of those mysteries fully explained, hopefully, in the kingdom of God. But we know that Jesus Christ, who was once born as a babe, who was that child, who was given five names, will, in the end, put down all authority, will stop all wars, and all power will be under him. And he will establish that kind of peace on earth. He will do that. The kind of peace that has not existed since the time of Cain and Abel. I mean, since that time, there has been nothing but strife and turmoil and war and assault from one man to another, one woman to another, across mankind. But this Prince of Peace will put an end to that. In John chapter 14 and verse 27, Jesus also says that we can have that peace now. That we can have it in our lives now. Probably, (laughs) providing we remember to call upon him as our counselor. But he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice, because I said, I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. So we have a child with five names, and it says that he is given to us. The government will be upon his shoulders. For his name. Will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Amen.